Last week, we started this series called Be Rich, and um, I, I didn't preface it last week. Uh, this week, I thought I'd bring it out, that these ideas actually come from um, something that I heard years ago from Andy Stanley, pastor of North Point, uh, North Point Ministries, um, and what he taught years ago, it made such an impact in my life that I decided way back then, about eight years ago, I decided this is going to become part of what we do and who we are, our DNA at Pathway Church. It's such an important topic for us to, to talk about that I wanted to regularly teach it. And so honestly, for the last uh, nine years, eight years or so, every three years I've been touching on this subject, and so here we are again. So today I want us to start off with a question. How much money do you think it takes to be rich? How much money do you think it takes to be rich? Now, most people would have an amount in mind when we're thinking, oh, they're rich if they have this amount of money. So in your opinion, I want you to think specifically in your opinion, how much money does it take for you to be rich, for you to feel rich? Okay, I want you to stand with me and I want you to share that amount with two people in the room, two people that you did not come with or sit near right now. Ready? Go. Share your amount. Come on, come on, let's go. Come on, share your amount. What do you think it would be? How much do you think it would be to feel rich? Go, share that amount with somebody around you. Okay. All right, now that, now that we've got that amount, the thing that I have realized, and maybe you have realized too, is that everyone has a different definition of rich. It's true. In one U.S. survey that just took place recently, most said, get this, most people said that was surveyed, most people said that it would take a minimum of $2.4 million to be rich. $2.4 million. Now, if that's true, get this, if that's true, the surveyors continue to show that about 5% of Americans are considered rich, 2.4 million. And most of them, about 95% of those 5% that have 2.4 million or more, don't think they're rich because they need more. Isn't that interesting? That there's always a different definition of rich. No one thinks they're rich. We will never think of ourselves as rich. But compared to the rest of the world, oh man, compared to the rest of the world, we are rich. We took a look at a website last week, and if you weren't with us, we'd love for you to go on our podcast and listen to next, uh, last week and sort of kind of catch up. But we, we talked about this website, Global Rich List, and uh, I would encourage you to jump on it. It's a lot of fun. It, it basically, you take your annual income and you input it, and it tells you how rich you are in comparison to the rest of the world. And so uh, an annual income of $32,400 puts you in the top 1% of the richest people in the world, according to that website. So if you are making at least $32,400, you are in the top 1% of the richest people in the world. So that means, don't miss this, that means that 99% of the rest of the world are poorer than you. Wow. So I started digging a little bit more. I like messing around with these kind of figures. And I discovered that the average annual income per person, not household, per person, the average annual income per person in the U.S. is approximately $30,000. So it's really close to that 1%. So I kind of pulled back from that, and I figured out that if you were making $30,000, you would live on approximately $80 a day. Now, don't, don't lose that figure, that number, 
$80 a day. Say it with me, $80 a day. Now, you, some of you may say, well, wait, I don't make that much. Okay, so let's, let's drop it, and let's say that you make $1,000 a month. It'd be really hard to live in San Diego if you're only making $1,000 a month. But let's say $1,000 a month, that's $12,000 a year. That means that you live on approximately $30 a day. That's the figure I don't want you to miss, okay? $12,000 a year, but $30 a day. So keep that in mind as we watch this video. So did you catch that? That um, half of the world lives on less than $10 a day. What was that figure that I said if we were making $1,000 a month, $12,000 a year living in San Diego, what was that figure per day that we would be living on? 30 so if you are only making $12,000 a year, you are three times richer than the rest of the world, or half of the world, rather. Everybody follow that? Wow. That's, that really puts it into perspective for me. I don't know about you, but I, it really helps me to see um, that if, if that God has blessed us, that, that I feel like I'm rich, and, I, and I'm here to tell you, you are too. If we live here in San Diego in Southern California in the United States, we are rich. As a, as a follower of Jesus Christ, I'm realizing, like we talked about last week, I am rich because God has given me more than I need. Say that with me. I am rich because God has given me more than, my, than I need. And my goal for this series is to help you realize how rich you are, to help you realize how God has blessed you, but then on top of that, to help you be good at being rich. And that's really our, our push, our focus. Do you know people who have money but aren't very good at being rich? I bet you do. We all know people like that. I mean, many celebrities struggle with this. They have money, but they're not very good at being rich. This week, I googled some, uh, some ideas, and this is what I came across. Michael Jackson was supposedly $400 million in debt when he died. Think about that. After $30 million of, of accruing $30 million, MC Hammer declared bankruptcy with a $13 million debt. Mike Tyson earned, the boxer earned $300 million in his career, but declared bankruptcy with $23 million debt. Wayne Newton became the, the highest earning performer in Las Vegas, but went bankrupt with a $20 million debt. I would say there are people who have money but are not very good at being rich. How many of you would agree with me on that one? Hmm? Okay, this is really interesting. Sports Illustrated once estimated that 78% of all NFL players end up broke or financially stressed within five years after they retire. And we know how much sports athletes make. Millions. For example, Warren Sapp, the seven-time Pro Bowler, Hall of Fame defensive tackle, he earned $82 million in a 13-year career that ended in 2007. So he, he ended his career, $80 million, ended his career in 2007. Literally, five years later, April 2012, AP, Associated Press, reported that Sapp filed for bankruptcy losing his 10,000-square-foot house, his University of Miami championship ring, and his Tampa Bay Buccaneers Super Bowl ring. He lost it all. 
Famous for his NFL records and over-the-top touchdown celebrations, Terrell Owens, T.O., is also famous for running through most of his $80 million that he made during his 15-year career. Now, here's the crazy part. This has become such an epidemic in the NFL and really in sports in general, baseball, basketball, you name it. It has become such an epidemic that ESPN put together a special documentary series called Broke. And it highlights the bankruptcies of NFL players. And it shows how quickly they run through their money. Is that interesting? Friends, I don't want you to be a lousy, rich person. In fact, tell your neighbor that, would you? I don't want you to be a lousy, rich person. I don't want you to be like that. I want you to be better than that. Too many rich people blow lots of money on stupid, crazy things. How many of you have seen that before? Too many rich people are so very stingy and selfish. Have you ever seen that before too? They just, they, they hold their money so tightly. I'm sure you know of people who I'm talking about. You've met them. And you know what we've said when we've met people like that? We say, if I'm ever rich, I don't want to be like them. I'm here to tell you, you're rich. Don't be like them. You're rich today. You're rich. Don't be a lousy rich person. Don't be like them. So we continue with what the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 6. Take a look at it. Paul says, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud. Proud. Paul says that rich people have an inclination to arrogance. It, it, it makes sense. I mean, you think about it. If you get an inflated net worth, you have a tendency to have an inflated self-worth. So our identity is so often connected to what we have and what we earn and what we own that we have a tendency to be defined by that. And the sad thing is we kind of help rich people become arrogant. What, what I mean by that is we give rich people more attention We put them in celebrity status, which only adds to this issue of them dealing with pride. I mean, for instance, when a rich guy walks into the room, all of us, if we know he's wealthy, we have a tendency to give him more attention. We have a tendency to treat him like he's a celebrity or royalty. We agree with what they say because, you know, it's assumed that he's the smartest person in the room because he's the richest person in the room. How how many know that just because you're richer doesn't always make you smarter? We've seen that to be true, but that's not how we relate to rich people. And so rich people have this tendency to think they're smarter, and eventually, guess what? They think they're better than other people. Basically, Paul is saying here, don't let your wealth go to your head. Don't let your money go to your head. And that's a good word for all of us in this room. Don't let your money go to your head. Paul continues, teach those who are rich in the world not to be proud and not to, what's that next word? Trust in their money, okay? Not to trust in their money. Paul is teaching a really big concept here, really big idea that when you get more money, something begins to happen inside you. Now, I'm talking for anybody in this room. 
It doesn't have to be a huge amount. It could be a promotion. It could be a pay raise. It could be a different job that makes more money. You could inherit something. Somebody has given you a gift. You get a bonus, whatever it is. And we're coming into those times around Thanksgiving and Christmas where companies begin doing that kind of stuff. Whatever it is, if we're not careful, we have a tendency. When we get more money, we have a tendency to begin to shift. And we don't even realize it, but we begin to shift. As our wealth begins to increase, Our trust begins to shift. Our trust begins to shift toward the accumulation of more wealth. We begin to shift. Paul says, don't let your heart get wrapped around money. To get wrapped around wealth. The richest man who ever lived, still to this day, Solomon, he wrote this in Proverbs 18. He said, the rich think of their wealth as a strong defense. They imagine it to be a high wall of safety. I want you to circle on your outline that that word safety, safety. We have a tendency to put our security, our safety in our wealth. We think that we will find safety and security in what we own and what we have and what we make, our income. We think that that's what's going to give us the security that we need today, but also in the future. And so we put our trust in our money, in our wealth. As you become richer, your trust begins to shift. And so we begin to think that we have security in life because we have more. So I want to ask you this question, what amount of money would make you feel totally secure? That's a good question, isn't it? I mean, I asked you earlier, what amount of money would would you need to feel rich? But let's think about this idea of how much money would it take for us to feel totally secure? What amount of money would make you feel safe? I know the answer for this. You probably do too. It's more than I have right now. Because whatever amount of money that you're making, whatever amount of possessions that you have to this point, you still feel insecure. You still worry, will I have enough? Will I have a retirement? Will I have enough to provide for my family? Will I have enough to provide for my kids down the road? Uh, Is it all going to work out financially? Do I have enough to make ends meet? Can I pay my bills this week? I've got this really big bill. I need new tires on my car. I need this. I need this. Am I going to have enough to do it? And so we have this this insecurity already going on. And we know and we think, if I could just have a little bit more, I might feel a little bit more secure. See, in reality, no amount of money can protect me from anything, from everything. We know that. We find irony in our currency. I don't know if, if you find that every time I pull out a bill, I, I find irony. In fact, you've got some bills right there, just copies of them on your seat. I mean, what does it say? It says, in God, we trust. Isn't there irony to that? We, we have this, this statement that we trust in God on the one thing that we have a tendency to trust more than God. We have a tendency to trust money. In fact, the more money we get, the less we trust God. You say, oh, no, I would never do that. You might be surprised. When we begin to look 
at how our trust shifts. We begin to think that we can gain security by getting more. And before we jump back into this text to finish it off, I, I, I want to say some of us don't think we're rich. For whatever reason, you may, you may think, yeah, okay, I'll go along with Bart, whatever he says. I am rich, blah, 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 blah. But I'm not rich, Bart. You just don't know. I'm not rich. Whatever. You know, I don't own a house. I, don't, I, I, I live paycheck to paycheck. Whatever the case is, here's what's interesting. Your trust, no matter how much you make, has already begun shifting. So you're already trusting what you have or what you make for your security. It's called being an American. We live in a culture that pushes that. And, and, and the thing that Paul is saying to us is that you are already placing your trust in your wealth and not in God. And Paul says to you and me, trust God, not your money. Trust God. Why? Why would Paul tell us this? Well, take a look. 1 Timothy 6.17. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud, not to trust in their money, which is so, what's that word? Unreliable. I don't know about you, but I have found this to be true. I mean, Puff Daddy tells us it's all about the Benjamins, Right? Uh, Bruno Mars tells us, money, 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 make her smile. It's some songs that are out. But money promises what it can't deliver. And we all know this to be true. Money promises happiness. But it doesn't really make us happy. Money promises satisfaction and fulfillment. Once you get that, once you buy that, once you have that, then you'll be good. Really? So you mean to tell me that that's when you stopped buying things. That's when you stopped ordering things on Amazon. That's when you stopped shopping at malls. That's when you stopped. When you got that thing, you were good. No. We know that not to be true. Money promises what it can't deliver. Now, even if you're a follower, not a follower of Jesus, you, you know this to be true. J-Lo would tell us, you'll kill, you'll kill, dinero, right? I mean, money says it will, it will satisfy you when you get enough. But, but when are, when are we going to get to the point of having enough? What is enough? Money creates this, this appetite that can't be satisfied. Solomon wrote this, whoever loves money will never have enough. Whoever loves wealth will not be what? Satisfied with it. So the more a person has, the more a person wants. So you can't really rely on money because you can never get enough money. Everybody follow that? That's why it's unreliable. The more you have, the more you want. And, and so it's never reliable. Paul says, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud, not to trust their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God. Just a curiosity question. Have you ever wondered why preachers talk so much about money? It's because Jesus did. I mean, you read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the gospel accounts of Jesus' life and ministry. Did you know that Jesus rarely talked about heaven and hell? He, he talked a lot about money. Do you know why? He tells us. Jesus made it very clear in Matthew 6. Look what he says. No one can serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and 
money. Now, I don't know about you. When I read that verse, I'm like, wait, hold on, Jesus, time out. You, I think you got that wrong. Don't you mean you cannot serve both God and Satan? Or, or, or maybe, maybe you meant to say you cannot serve both God and the world. But that's not what he says. He says you cannot serve both God and money. Do you know what Jesus is telling us here? The biggest rival against God for your heart is money. Wow. Friends, listen, that doesn't matter what income level you're on. The biggest rival for your heart is money or God. Who do you put your trust in? Matthew 19, Jesus had an encounter. Man stopped Jesus and asked him, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Basically, hey, how can I get to heaven? Jesus says, okay, you want to be good with God? If you want to enter the life of God, do what God tells you. The man says, well, what in particular? Specify it for me. Jesus says, okay, let's see. Don't murder don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as you do yourself. Basically the Ten Commandments, but adding one. And the man said, I've done all that. Now, here's the interesting thing. Many of us in this room could claim that, kind of. There might be a few that, you know, you know okay, we may have lied or... Maybe we didn't honor our mom and dad when we were teenagers. or You know what I'm saying. There, there, there might be a little gray. But for the most part, I mean like 90% we obeyed the Ten Commandments. Right? This guy's saying, I did it all. I did, I did all that you're asking for. So what's left? What more do you want from me? Look what Jesus says. Go sell your possessions. And give some to the poor. Oh, wait, wait, that, he didn't say that. He said give everything to the poor. Then come follow me. You know, there are many times in the Bible where I would like to have been there to experience the story firsthand and be in the midst of the conversation, maybe even be like one of the players in the conversation. You know, this is one that I would not have wanted to be there. Because I would have felt extremely guilty and convicted too. I mean, look what it says. That was the last thing the young man expected to hear. It, it wasn't a matter of doing. It was a matter of giving away and not holding on to. Look what it says. So he walked away. He was to holding on tight to a lot of things, and he couldn't bear to let go. It says, as he watched him go, Jesus told his disciples, do you have any idea how difficult it is for the rich to enter God's kingdom? Hmm. And then he gives this phrase that we've probably heard before. Maybe you've heard it. You didn't even know it was in the Bible. But look, it says, it's easier to gallop a camel through a needle's eye than for a rich person to enter God's kingdom. Now, there's been a lot of researchers that have said a lot of things, but I'm just going to take it at face value. And I really think that Jesus meant a little 
little bitty needle, okay, that I can't hardly see without my glasses anymore. The eye of a needle, right? And a big old dromedary camel trying to gallop that thing through the eye of a needle. That's how difficult it is for a rich person to get in the kingdom of God, to experience the life of God. What was, what was Jesus trying to say? Was Jesus telling us that we've got to go sell everything we have? No. Say that with me. No. A lot of people think that. And that's why they say, I don't know if I want to follow Jesus because he expects me to sell everything I have. No, that's not what Jesus said. His specific challenge was to this guy for a specific reason. Why? Because this guy was holding so tightly to what he owned. His trust was completely in what he had. And Jesus identified that. But Jesus, like Paul, is trying to teach us a big principle. It's about where we put our trust. Do we trust in what we have? Do we trust in what we make? Do we trust in our money if we're not careful? Friends, if we're not careful, we can trust in that. As my income increases, my trust begins to shift and my wealth can become a substitute for God in my life. So, that's why Paul finishes it off. Look at what he says. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud, not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God. And, he's, and you know, I'm so glad that Paul didn't put a period there, but he kept talking, kept writing. Look what he says. Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our, what's that last word? Aren't you glad that word is there? I mean, he doesn't call us to be a monk that walks around in sackcloth. Hello. I'm so glad for that. I can have my iPhone and enjoy it. Hello. Sorry if you're Android people. I'm an iPhone guy, okay? So, listen. God is not saying don't enjoy life. Paul's not telling us this. God is not against you using money, your money, to enjoy life. You want to go on a vacation? Go on a vacation. Enjoy it. You want to get a new TV? Get a new TV. Black Friday's coming, right? Caleb was just telling me about like the 4K and whatever and the blah, 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 and you could get it bigger and better and whatever. And if that's your thing, man, go for it, okay? Buy some new clothes. If you need some new clothes, go buy whatever, the, whatever you're, you're looking at. Enjoy it. Just don't make the mistake of putting your trust in what you have and what you make. Because it's unreliable. God says enjoy life. Just trust God. I mean, basically Paul is asking us a question. The question is, why would you put your trust in money, which is so unreliable, when you can trust in God who richly gives you what you need? Why? Why would you put your trust in money that comes and goes as quickly as you get it? Anybody else experience money that way? It's like, I had a paycheck. Whoa, I had a paycheck. Where'd it go? It just went, right? 
I mean, we have a little funny saying in our household. My wife always says this. The only time, if you don't know, we, uh, the church requires two signatures on checks here and uh, just for safety stuff. And, and the only time that my wife says that I see my check is when I sign the front. And it's gone after that. And the, uh, don't tell the bank this, but she forges my signature on the back. I don't even sign the back of the check. She just does it. I mean, I don't even see it. It comes and it goes, right? That's, all of us are that way. Right? Money comes and it goes. Why put your trust for your security in life in something that comes and goes so quickly? Why not put it, Paul says, in God who gives you all of that and then some so that you can enjoy life? To me, it, it makes sense. So to wrap off today's study, I want to give you one statement, and I know that you may not believe it yet, just like last week, you may not believe this statement, you may not even be ready to do it yet, that's okay, I want you to write it down, we're going to say it out loud together because I want you to get this. Ready? I will not trust in money, but in God who gives me all I need. I will not trust in money, but in God who gives me all I need. Come on, say it with me. I will not trust in money, but in God who gives me all I need. Why trust in riches when you can trust in a God who gives you all you need? Good question. And so here's the follow-up question. How do you do this? I mean, great statement. Sounds good. I will not trust in money. We go away, I will not trust in money, but I will trust in God who gives me all that I need. Yes. Sounds like something Tony Robbins would say or what, you know what I'm saying? It's just like that motivational statement. Yes. How do you do this? Come back next week because we're going to talk about how you pull this off, how you shift and begin to trust God instead of your money. Let me pray for you.